Hey gang, thanks for listening to this special bonus episode of The Hustle. This is my conversation with Chris White of The Zombies. It just happened a couple of days ago. I think everybody knows by now what the deal is. The Zombies are up for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and popular voting, meaning the fans' ability to vote on who gets into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, ends on Friday, November 30th. So we wanted to hurry and get this conversation out there in case people are... I don't know if they haven't voted yet or they're on the fence or they feel like they feel passionately like the zombies belong in there, but they haven't gotten around to doing their voting. We wanted to get a conversation out there with Chris about the the career of the zombies, the resurgence that they've had the last few years as generations are discovering their last album, 1967's Odyssey and Oracle, which is just a, a hallmark of, I don't know, psychedelic rock, British rock. It's a, if you haven't heard it, this thing is a piece of work. It's kind of a masterpiece, and it's getting the recognition it deserves. It was only their second album. And, uh, but yet, the, as the generations go by and people keep discovering it, their profile gets bigger and bigger and bigger, deservedly. So anyway, we wanted to get this out there so that you could hear from him, think about the zombies, vote if you wanted, whatever that might be. Uh, so anyway, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with me and Chris White from The Zombies. He called me from his home in London. So let's okay. let's talk about this. Uh, let's talk about this resurgence. It's so it's strange to me. So for instance, um, growing up, I was uh, and still am sort of a devotee of Rolling Stone magazine, and I remember getting the 100 Greatest Albums uh, issue in 1987 on their 20th anniversary. And Odyssey and Oracle was nowhere to be mentioned. In fact, I think it was still that was still probably kind of languishing in obscurity back then. But then yeah, it two- was. Actually. That's why. That's why the, originally the zombies split up in yeah. because nobody wanted it. You know. <laughs> and then two thousand three comes around, and I believe it's ranked number one hundred on the top five hundred of all time. What, I know. What a surprise! What has happened? What What caused this resurgence? Do you know? Yeah, I, I, well, I've got a feeling. It basically, people like um, Al Cooper, first uh-huh. of all, always yeah. champion it. Tom Petty, which was wonderful, mm. and Paul Weller, and uh, Dave Grohl. I mean, they, they quote it as being influencing on them. And so, therefore, they told their friends. I mean, Paul Weller, used to, if, he, if somebody hadn't heard the album, he bought it for them. <laughs> 
it's 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 a great pleasure, sort of having uh, the people who we look up to quote it as being influential on them in the early. Days. Same as American artists had a great influence on us and, yeah. and made us excited, you know. Yeah, it is one of those uniquely British, I think, albums. Kind of like something the you know the Kinks, Preservation yes. Society, or Blur's Park Life, or one of these things that could only happen in the UK at a very specific, unique time. Um, I, yes. I hate that question when people ask, you know, did you know that you were creating something special? Because most of the time people don't. But No, at, we just do it, yeah. Yeah, was this a situation where, I mean, I, it, you were sort of at the end of your rope. You'd had, you know, Begin Here with She's Not There, uh, one hit. Well, no one told me about her The way she lied Well, no one told me about kind of okay but not you know you weren't hitting massively was odyssey and oracle meant to be sort of this grand artistic statement or was it the best you well, had at the it time really it was it's it's circumstances really i i mean what happened is um our manager sort of ripped us off like uh, a couple of million um, and it's culminated in uh, i just told this story but uh forgive me if i it's important no, the it's okay. history of it is is that we were we didn't have any work in london and uh, it's 67, and then the manager said, well, boys, I've got um, 10 days in Manila. Mm. And we said, you've got nothing in England? He said, no, He said, but the searches have done it, and other people. I said, well, we said, what's the deal? He said, basically, um, it's £100 a night. We said, well, each? He said, no, between you. <laughs> and, of course, he took his 25%, so therefore we ended up earning £18 a night each. Yes. But then when we arrived at, in Manila after a 30-hour plane journey. We were thinking we were playing in a hotel or a foyer or a small club for 10 days. Uh, when we arrived there, there were thousands of kids at the airport uh, in the middle of the night. Wow. And then they took us, we thought we were going to a hotel, and they stopped outside this great big building, which turned out to be the second biggest Astrodome next to Houston in the world. <laughs> uh, and we found out that we were staying there, and we were playing to 30,000 people a night. No way. And... And, and you were uh, making 18 pounds. 18 pounds, yeah. Oh! 
And so, therefore, we, they, they, it ended up in, in quite a story because basically the manager, we found out we were being screwed then because the mm. manager was getting £1,000 a night. Yeah. And then there was a Chinese uh, bank manager who basically um, said, you are being screwed. Uh, he said, I, after 10 days, I've got an option for more. So um, you've made up their lo- loss of earnings. So um, basically... Okay. Um, he said, why don't you ask for £1,000 a night? Mm. And then the, the, the manager of the place thought we were trying to screw him because mm. we found out later there were two sets of contracts. We didn't know that. Mm. And so they, they threatened us. They threatened uh, every time we tried to play somewhere, the manager was threatened. The first club we played in afterwards was burnt to the ground the next morning. Oh. So, so we came back from the Philippines with um, no money, except mm. Rod and I had were songwriters, so mm. we were able to survive the other three weren't mm-hmm. and um we came back with no manager and no record deal because decker had dropped us so rod and i decided that we wanted to produce because a, the original producer was a great guy but he he was old school so we weren't mm-hmm. ever allowed to be in the mix sessions yeah and so we decided we wanted to produce the songs because we wrote them rod and i yeah and so and then we managed to get a thousand pounds from cbs and we managed to get one of the first non-EMI groups to get into Abbey Road. Mm. So, so Rod and I produced it. Simply that we only had a thousand pounds in Abbey Road, and mm. that's we did the whole album for that. <laughs> oh man! And so here we it had is. to rehearse. We had yeah. to rehearse quite a lot because you know we we did like two songs in three hours. You know. Yeah. Goodness. So this so was. It, I mean, it was basically made sort of out of desperation and duress. It wasn't. Did you? Were you following a muse? Were you and Rod sort of as song, as the key songwriters thinking, we have some really special material here, we just need to get it out? Or No, actually what we thought was, we got to go and do it ourselves, and then we wrote as we went along. Ah. And, and then we rehearsed thoroughly in a village hall somewhere before we went into the studios. And then we had the great luck to have Jeff Emmerich as our first engineer. Mm. Oh, and Jeff. of course, he got the great drum sounds. And, and then Peter Vince afterwards, and the great engineers at Abbey Road. Yeah. Who were in Studio 3. And we, we were very pleased with it. Then uh, CBS said, ah, well, stereo seems to be very popular. I think we should go back and mix it in stereo. And it was only in four track, you see. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so we, Rod and I paid another £1,000 to oh. do it in stereo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. And then it comes out, but it doesn't it doesn't set doesn't the world on fire. Yeah, no. And so one of the boys, Paul Atkinson, who's since passed away, was getting married. So we said, well, we've no point getting replacements. So Rod and I wanted to continue. And so we, Rob was forming a group, which then became Argent. Mm-hmm. But then Rod and I talked Colin to coming back into recording. And we did the first three albums. We produced the first three albums and wrote for him. Yeah, yeah. So that's the story, roughly. Okay, okay. Um, So a couple of things. Number one, what does... Now, I know the Odyssey got misspelled by the... I forget his name, the guy who did the cover art. Terry Quirk, yeah. Well, I was sharing a flat with him at the time, and Rod later came and shared the flat as well. So we wrote it in that flat. Oh. And and Terry was an old school friend of mine, and I was at art college with him. And so he, he just came in with the cover, and we would busy writing we saw oh, that looks good not realizing yeah. he spelt it wrong <laughs> and it's funny enough 40 years it took 40 years for colin to find out because we said well, it's a cross between odyssey and ode you see uh, uh-huh. we made that story up and then <laughs> <laughs> and then he found out 40 years later colin <laughs> no we just got it wrong 
That's all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, uh, well, actually, the artist got it wrong. Or yes, yes, yes. Um, so, what is what does Odyssey and Oracle even mean? What is what did you what were you thinking when you named it that? Well, we we were just thinking that it's different stories. Like it's an Odyssey, it's a journey, yeah, okay. and an Oracle just telling truths, basically. Okay. It just sounded it just, cool. It sort of fit. The just body. sounded cool. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's talk. First of all, one question I had: this manager that ripped you off was this somebody who? Was a friend of yours, or did you know and hire yourselves as a manager, or was he sort of assigned to you from a label? No, no, uh, I can't mention any names. Okay, that's fine. But basically, okay. he he actually did manage the Searchers and Dusty Springfield uh, and Cliff Richard and people like that, and and he, you know, so our record producer said, well, we need a ma- an agent and manager. So he didn't get, you know, he didn't get a lot of percentage of our recordings at no, all. So he, I, I, he said, when we when we challenged his assistant many years later, when I challenged him, he said, "Well, said someone was going to rip you off, so it better be us." <laughs> so no, those no. those are the days in the sixties, you know. Uh, we're yeah. we're very lucky to still get the money. We were probably one of the few groups that yeah. didn't get totally ripped off, you know. Yeah. Do you have a sense now of how many copies this album has sold? No, no. I don't. Because I hear, I, I think I saw an interview with Rod stating that it's, you know, obviously way more popular now than it ever was when it first came out. And I was just curious if you knew, like, you know, we sell 100,000 copies a year or we sell, you know, it's in the... Uh, I don't know, to be quite honest, mm-hmm. because um, for me, yeah. and I think probably the others, the most important thing is the music and having it recognized. Really, that's that's really the most important thing. Yeah. And being able to live, you know, you can... Yeah can only earn so much money sure um, yeah I agree. Yeah. yeah so you know let's go back to this time in the 60s you guys are coming up around the same time as you know the it's the british invasion the beatles are there the kinks there's uh, bands like jerry and the pacemakers or herman's hermits or what is that or whatever and you're rubbing shoulders when you're when you're seeing what's happening for instance to the beatles worldwide are you just starting to lick your chops thinking i want a piece of that where we could do this too let's get in there Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I think basically the, the Beatles were responsible. Uh, nobody heard English music until the Beatles yeah. conquered America, to be quite honest. Yeah. And they wrote great stuff. I mean, we went into the studio just after they finished Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. In fact, you know, uh, Rod found out he, John Lennon left his Mellotron there, so that's why it appears on some of the tracks. We just, <laughs> we <laughs> just borrowed it in the studio. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a big influence on you. I mean, were you, the reason I, I ask is because one of the things I like to talk about on here is transitions in people's careers. And you went from being a sort of struggling musician, I'm guessing, to thinking, ooh, I like that. The Beatles, they're taking over the world. We're we're good too. We could get a piece of that too. Look at all these, the Stones, the Kinks. Look at everybody who's blowing up. We want to be a part of this. Well, funny enough, <clears throat> that didn't really affect her, to be quite honest. It was the pleasure of playing into mm. crowds of mm. people and writing the songs and really getting the kick out of creating the music. That was that was the fun thing. The Beatles challenged uh, the Beach Boys and Beach Boys challenged the Beatles. That thing was going on. And it was an exciting time for music, really yeah. was. One of the songs that you wrote, it's not on Odyssey, but it's uh, Leave Me Be. I love that song. It, it seems that I'm too quiet that's cause I'm missing her My mind tells me I have to fight But I can't help missing her You 
been curious about it's got you know there's such a unique sort of vocal affectation in there the anymore part the way they sort of it sort of strains or draws it out is that something that when you came up with that song and you were i don't know i assume you were telling colin how to sing it maybe were you like no no you you never tell Colin how to sing it. Really? You just tell him when he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he is pretty and of course, amazing. Rod and I, yeah. both when we started writing, write for Colin and his yeah, range okay. and his style. So, uh, yeah, no. It, the, actually, Leave Me Be, that version, it, we, when we rehearsed it and wrote it, it was a much harder thing. Um, oh, really? And, and the, yeah. the, our, engine, um, our record producer at the time, thought that Colin's soft vocals were the thing that was selling us, and mm. so therefore he tended to make it a little bit too soft for our liking. Mm. When we played it live, it was much stronger, still emotionally strong, sure. but it, 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 was a, it was a mistake of a record coming out. Of, uh, in, it came out in England as a single, because we were touring, and mm-hmm. so we just went to, came back down to London and recorded it, and we weren't allowed to be at the mix sessions. That's the problem, <laughs> as I talked yeah. about earlier. Yeah, oh boy. Um, Man, he was a good, he good. It's a good record producer, but yeah. it, it, we we grew, you know. Sure. Were you always a songwriter growing up, or were you? Because I know you were one of the latter, the later guys to join the band. Was that because yeah, of a I, known songwriting prowess, or did you sort no, of grow no, I, or acquire? No, what happened was the the original bass player who was two years younger than me, and I'm two years older than all of them. And mm. um, basically, he was from my school, mm-hmm. and he was in the same year as Colin. But then he had to concentrate on his A-levels at school mm-hmm. to get to university. I was at uh, art college for four years, and then I knew some... It's a small place in Dorbans, and it said, they're looking for new bass players. So I went along and rehearsals, and that's when we started doing three-part harmonies. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this, this is going to be fun. Now, you guys being up for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, this is your third or fourth time, I think. Um, I think so, yeah. Do you, when you sit home, do you dream of this or do you, I mean, it's obviously a nice uh, honor. It's an honor. Yeah. It's an honor. But it, it, at my age, you see, um, uh-huh. uh, John, it, 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 it's a, a great pleasure and a great honor. And it'd be wonderful if we do get in because then I can play on the stage in New York. <laughs> yeah. so, um, but um, it, I, I don't dribble over it, but it mm. would be 
a nice feeling of justification in the end, you know, sure. that something that nobody wanted has suddenly got us into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And of course, Rod and Colin are playing yeah. great, and the, their touring band is fantastic, you know. So when you, um, I want to go back to, you know, a couple of your tracks specifically on Odyssey and Oracle, because Butcher's Tale is such an odd little song. That was the first single off of that album. What? Yes, that was a surprise to us, actually. Yeah. America, but that, uh, I was well into books by the First World War because my uncle, my mother, was telling me he joined at 16 and, and got killed at um, the Battle of the Somme. Um, but then I was reading the book about, uh, I think it was called The Donkeys, and they talked about the first day of the Battle of the Somme. There were 60,000 casualties before breakfast. Mm. And I was driving to a rehearsal with the boys, and um, I suddenly was overcome because of the 60,000, looking at the families that are affected by that one day before breakfast. And it was so shook me that I had to drive off the road because I was yeah. shaking. Yeah. And so I, I just I came up with that song. Mm. And I had been on my Saturday morning's jobs as a student. I was butcher's boy. So that okay. that was the first thing I did, you know. It's a it's a beautiful song. It's haunting, as is many of your songs have this sort of uh, almost a spookiness to them, or a sort of you know a haunting quality. I just thought, yeah. what an odd topic to write a pop song about, and then to have it released as a single, the first single, no less. Plus, I think well, that that's the only one you sing. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, well, I think in some of the others was a verse or something, you know. Yeah. But um, but um, I, I was singing, and Rod and Colin said, like, we think you ought to sing that. Your, uh -huh. your weak little wavery voice. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a casualty already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. What about Beachwood Park? Do you remember summer days just after summer rain? When all the air was damp and warm in the green of country lanes And the breeze would touch your hair, kiss your face and make you care about your world Your summer world And we would count the evening stars as the day grew dark in Beechwood Park Sound of laughter 
I, I love that one actually. When in the village that I lived outside of St Albans, my father was a general had a general store, and we used to deliver groceries to this private girls' school, mm. which was called Beechwood Beechwood Park. But then I used to learn to drive there because I was underage for driving because private roads and everything. But I thought it was a great title for a song, you know. Mm. And so those things I mentioned, it really happened, you know. Mm. You, you pull on your own experiences, sure images, you know. And then, so after uh, Odyssey and Oracle comes out, you guys go back and start working on some new material. And I have the bonus version, or the uh, like deluxe version, the deluxe CD, and it's got oh the R.I.P. one. Yes, yeah. all the extra songs on it, like Imagine My Imagine the Swan, and that's right. Yes. Well, I have a picture in Is there in my room to remind me of you? So it was with surprise that I saw you today, and I did not recognize you, girl. What more can I These are tracks that I guess were in hopes of making a follow-up album that never materialized. No, we some of them were um, some of them were tracks we'd done we'd never finished. Mm. We pulled those out and we got Gus Dudgeon to engineer it for oh, us. Oh, Gus, nice. And then Rod and I wrote some new songs for it as well. And um, I mean, imagine this one was a Ray Bradbury story, and there was a lovely story in it where this reporter falls in love with this old lady, and mm. she said don't see me as the dragon that I am now. Imagine me as the swan I used to be. And I mm. thought that's a lovely line. You know? That's a lovely line, yeah. Um, was there ever any kind of competition between you and Rod? I mean, you two are the primary primary songwriters. Was there... Well, of course, did you have to it fight wasn't a competition. For space? No? No, okay. no, no. Rod is always the main arbiter in the end. Mm. If he, he, you know, and, but he, he 
we worked together in the end. He, I mean, after that finished, he, 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 he suggested to me we put our joint names and all the songs we write after that, and he'd had the two big hits. Mm-hmm. So that was very generous of him. Then I wrote um, Hold Your Head Up, yeah. and he always quotes me doing that, but I've never regretted giving half to him because we work together. You know, yeah. it's always a, 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 everyone working together. It's, the, the band happens that way, you know. Yeah, yeah, okay. I was just curious. One thing I was reading about, too, were you guys, I believe, the first, when you came over to America, you were the first band to appear on the program Hullabaloo. Is that right? That's right, yes. Yeah, first color television we'd seen, you know. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And uh, from the, the account I was reading, and I don't remember where I read this, that uh, the girls were just going crazy. What was what was that? And I'm just imagining what this, you know, this this group from England coming over who... Maybe these girls know who you are, and maybe they don't, but they're just so swept up in, like, Beatlemania and the British invasion that they're screaming for every beautiful young man that's performing in front of them. You <laughs> that know? <was> beautiful. <laughs> well, I'm just curious what that must be, must have been like for you. Well, you know? quite saying, don't forget, I was two years older than the others, and I was I was just able to drink ah. in New York, and, but they, 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 they were just out of school they were going to go to university yeah. and we said we'll try it for six months and um that was 50 years 55 years ago <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it was it was great fun and um, playing murray the case brooklyn fox yeah. meeting all those great artists you know uh, being knocked out by them you know yeah yeah so um okay so when things start to kind of dwindle and they come to an end um and you go on you know argent sort of far forms out of this which is Almost the whole band, just under a different name, practically. Well, no, it's not really. It's um, it was just Rod, um, yeah. but then we had um, uh, a different drummer, Bob Henrich, and then mm. Jim Rodford, Rod's cousin, who sadly died this year. Yeah, and um, um, Russ Ballard, and yeah. so we Rod and I put the band together. Um, okay. I love Russ. I had him on here a couple of years ago, and we talked about that time and those hits and everything i mean hold your head up that's probably your biggest is yes. that the biggest hit as a songwriter i think so yeah yeah changing all the time i mean people keep doing this will be our year's wedding songs now, so. <laughs> yeah. right uh, yeah um graham nash said to me with his new fiance she said i want to have this will be our year as our wedding song <laughs> with a great writer like graham nash <laughs> <laughs> right oh that's great so now it seems like you sort of decide at this point to go into the back take a back seat 
you know, I'm gonna yes. be a behind the scenes guy. I want to write and produce. I don't necessarily need to be out front anymore. Why did you do that? Because writing is the main thing. I, I was going to be a painter and a designer, but then when I started writing songs, the whole focus went on to that. And I like being in studios. I like creating the sounds. And um, and there were better bass players around, to be quite honest. Mm. You know, Jim Rob was a much better bass player than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a bass. I'm a songwriter who plays bass. Really, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jim Rodford was a, is a was a bass player for yeah. all. You know. Yeah, but don't you I recognize want... my limitations? But do you? Do, were you not interested in trying to continue on to be a rock star? I mean, not every rock star is a great musician, but they're rock stars. That's their job. I that's to an outsider that seems like the best job in the world. But you sort of decide, eh, I don't need that part. I'm just going to write and be in the background. Well, to be quite honest, I think writing's the most exciting thing. Ah. Especially later in life when people come up to me. I was once had uh, an accident and went to hospital, and the bloke in the bed opposite when he was take going out, he said, I just heard you wrote Hold Your Head Up. He said, that song saved my life. Mm. And, I mean, several other people have, have, mm. have, have said that sort of thing to me. Now, that's the pleasure. That's the yeah. pleasure. The same thing as I've got songs that when I was a teenager growing up, that excited you. Isn't it nice to be able to have someone come up to you and say, that song affects me, mm-hmm. emotionally challenged me and affected me, and thank you very much for writing. Now, that is the biggest pleasure. Yeah, yeah, okay. Do you ever miss it? I mean, and, and I should preface, I mean, I know you guys, the zombies sort of reformed, well, they've reformed a couple of times, but you personally came back on the, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name of it, still got that Hunger album. Right? No, I'm not on that. Oh, you're not? No, oh, I not. thought you were. No. I read that you were. No, no, okay. I'm not on that. It's okay. just Terry Quirk, the artist who did Austin Oracle, did the cover for it. Mm. But well, what we did was when they finally realized it was the anniversary, we decided to do the second half of their current stuff doing Odyssey and Oracle from beginning to end exactly as we recorded it. Now, that was the first in the second half of the show, you mm. see. So we joined Rod's touring band and had Darian Sahanaja from Brian Wilson's band playing the extra keyboards, and we achieved the sound that we got on the recordings, mm. and that was the pleasure. Got it. Okay. So um, what's, uh, you know, do you, you at this point, you just are not interested in going back out and performing? I mean, Colin and Rod well, are back out there doing it? Oh, yeah. There, there's talk of, of perhaps, we thought we can't milk Odyssey and Oracle to death, and, and quite rightly, Rod and Colin wanted do the new things which keeps them fresh mm-hmm. so it's the combination of we've done two tours in america of odyssey and oracle and that we thought the last one was in berlin earlier this year oh, and uh, but there's still talk of us doing another one so let's see what happens it'd be nice if we can get into the rock and roll hall of fame because that might uh, generate more work you know? yeah absolutely i think i uh, saw an interview with rod or I don't, I don't remember what it was but they were saying that is is it being turned into a musical or something like that? Yes, that's right. Well, um, uh, Terry Quirk, the, who I shared a flat with and was at art college, yeah. who did the original cover, he and I have been writing about one specific period in our life. So let me ask you about some of the people you may have rubbed shoulders with around that time. I mean, um, you know, you mentioned the Beatles. Did you have many interactions with them personally? No, we didn't, actually, because when you're touring, we only ever sort of met people up at the Blue Boar on the motorway on the way home mm-hmm. in the 60s. Mm-hmm. But we did play with The Who, and, you know, we did tours with Del Shannon. Del Shannon turned up to one of our gigs, and so we backed him once, you know, in mm-hmm. London. 
Um, but we, we liked Dale a lot um, and worked with the Isley Brothers. They, they were oh, great wow. musicians. Yeah. Now, oh, yeah, Warwick. Ernie Isley is like an incredible, or was an incredible guitar player. Yeah. yeah. Dion Warwick. Uh, Dion Warwick and Dusty Springfield, of course, you know. Yeah, yeah. We, we worked with, and of course, when we, when we did Murray the Cage, Brooklyn Fox, we had people at the Shangri-Las, the Drifters, Benny King, Chuck Jackson. We were meeting all these giants, you know. Uh-huh. So we, and we played there for eight days, I think it was. Yeah, yeah wow. Did you ever, I uh, have a real fascination with Steve Winwood. Did you ever cross paths with Steve Winwood? Yeah, but we were the same gigs that we were him, but uh, crossing paths. I mean, it's such a long time ago. Okay, never like, com- had a conversation or hung out or anything. No, never hung out with him okay. at all. I'm afraid. Yeah. yeah. What about He's the Stones? Artist. Yeah, I do. I love him. What about the, the Stones? Stones? No, we we never met up with them. Um, mm. But I used to go and see them when they were playing down the Fifty One Club in London, which is about the same size as my living room. Oh. So. Um, we saw it really raw in the early days, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So good. So what did you what have you been doing? I mean, when you decide to go behind the scenes and I mean, I know that you write and produce for the Argent Records and the uh Colin solo albums and stuff like that, but that carry I imagine that sort of maybe carries you through the 70s, but when things start to sort of slow down, where have you always made a living in music or did you do yeah, other the, things? Yeah, the royalties have always been a helpful thing. I and then when I had no more money, and uh, I, I've been writing, still writing, doing some nice little albums with young people and creative people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always kept my hand in and written quite a few things for other people. Nothing that's really you would know about, but yeah. basically all of a sudden the resurgence in the zombies happened and it was quite a welcome thing yeah. to put on it. yeah. It more more justification that we yes we did we did it right you know? yeah absolutely it's, it's what an odd thing it's almost it reminds me a little bit of Nick Drake if you remember Nick, Nick Drake yes I do yes super obscure folk singer from the sixties or whatever and and dies you know in in obscurity but a few years ago one of his songs goes on a commercial and now suddenly everyone needs to have a Nick Drake album you know and it's and. Uh, you guys weren't quite as obscure as Nick Drake, but it is one of these things where this beautiful piece of history, Odyssey and Oracle, not to mention all the other great stuff that you did, but that's, you know, the the yeah, one yeah. that lives on. And uh, it's it just it's like this time capsule thing that 20, 30, well, 40 years lucky. later. We're alive to enjoy it. That's the yeah, thing, because most true. people would have to die before they get success. So, very true. so we're lucky. Yeah. We're lucky. Yeah. I've wondered, too, and maybe this is really odd. I wonder, too, if... Um, being called the zombies at a time when uh, zo- zombies are sort of fashionable with like TV shows and movies. If you had been called, you know, the Mustangs or whatever it was you were called first. That's I, right, yeah. I, I don't know if it would have had the same cachet. I wonder if being named after something that's having a resurgence in popular culture helps a little bit. You know what I mean? Maybe so. It's very difficult to know what makes a success, isn't it? Yeah, it really does, and, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and, but the music's the most important thing. Absolutely. Um, one other weird question I had for you. I know at the time, or I read somewhere that... Uh, at the time that the zombies were out there, there were other bands calling themselves the zombies, touring around America and everything. And one of these bands originated out of Texas and featured two members of what would go on to be ZZ Top. Did you know That's this? That's right, yeah. yeah. Did you ever uh, meet I remember... them or talk to them about this? 
No, never have. But basically, Rod always says, well, when the zombies pack up, we're going out as a tribute band to the ZZ Top. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. you gotta start. You got to start growing that beard now. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's great. Well, good. Okay. Well, so, uh, I mean, tell me about yourself personally. You, I think what you mentioned working with younger artists, uh, isn't one of those your son? Yeah, uh, my son, Jamie White, JJ White, yes. He's got a band. He did tour opening up for the Zombies a few years back. Mm. But he's he's um, having, you know, he's trying to get his bands back together again because they're sort of um, part-time, you see what I mean. Yeah, but he's a sure. great writer. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm really pleased with his writing and I look yeah. forward to keep encouraging him. And my other son was an engineer working with studios and things. He just left now. And... Um, and so he's been helping me out with my record, with home studio recordings, you know. Okay, okay. Um, have you ever had any kind of an inkling or urge to make solo material? Do you, I don't even know. There's not a Chris White solo album out there somewhere, is there? No, there's another artist called Chris White. Everyone keeps mistaking me. Yeah, right. And um, he, he's, he's dead, I'm afraid, now. But he had a song called Spanish Wine, and I had I been living in Spain. And um, I wrote the song called Andorra, which Colin recorded, and they still do it now. But uh, they say, I've got, I've got your album. I must rush home and get it. And uh, before I could say anything, he rushed off, came back all sweaty, and it was this other Chris White. And I said, No, that I can't sign. That's not me. He said, mm -hmm. I think you'll find it is. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> That's <laughs> I great. Said, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Um, so, I mean, I want to ask you a couple of the same questions that I ask most of the people I talk to. And one of them is that I'm curious if you have any re regrets about anything. I don't know. No. If you, and if you don't have any, that's fine. But if there was some kind of a decision that you made along the way that maybe you wish you hadn't or, you know, if you hadn't. No, done that, no, I don't. I always think that you face challenges in life and they make yeah. you grow. Yeah. And I'm very happy at the moment. And um, good. I'm very happy with my lot and because work writing on the musical and all sorts of things we're working on. So yeah, it's, life is fun. It really is, especially now. Yeah. I mean, to think that that you guys would have this resurgence at this stage in your life, who would have ever guessed? You know, I know it's crazy. Yeah, never, you could never plan it. No, no. Yeah. The right people, your album falls in the right people's hands and they choose to talk about it at the right time and people are listening and suddenly the zombies are, you know, a really big deal. Uh, deservedly, you know, it's amazing. That's very nice of you. Yeah. It, it, it's funny because there's a, an Australian artist who's very good, Tim Minchin. I don't know whether you know him mm -hmm. or not, but he, I'm, here's a speech he made at a, he got an honorary scholarship thing and he said, one of the rules is not to have long-term plans. <laughs> Short-term short plans, and then you can have success after success. You know? That's right. That's right. That works. Um, okay, one other question. What is your favorite memory? I don't know if if you, you know, got to meet some heroes along the way. I don't know if, um, you know, if you when you sit back and you're just thinking, I cannot believe this happened to me. What is that thing? Uh, that's I, I suppose there's. Um, I met, do you know Paul Weller? I sure do. I love Paul Weller. Yeah. Well, he came along and he t to our first concert in 1968, 68, no, 2008, yeah. yeah. And um, I shyly went up to him because I really like what he's done uh, during the concert. He came to all three concerts mm -hmm. and um, he came backstage and I shyly went up to him and I said, Paul, I haven't met, uh, I'm Chris White. He said, Chris White. And he gave me a great big bear hug 
and he said he said um um you're the reason i started writing songs oh my gosh so uh, and and wow. that that's 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 really one of the mathematic things you know when yeah. when the artist who you respect give you something like that that makes you think well life's been worthwhile hasn't it yeah yeah I just want to make one last point, which is that I, you know, no offense to the Jerry and the Pacemakers or Herman's Hermits or whatever out there, uh, the Searchers or whatever, but they don't have that one album that is transcending time. And I feel like having that uh, is sort of, it gives you the zombies a lot of street cred where some of those other bands may not necessarily have that. And so they're, they're sort of still on the oldies channel, whereas this uh, rediscovering Odyssey and Oracle is sort of making you still very vibrant and urgent artistically to younger generations not every band well, how is nice to, is that yeah yeah that's, that's even really nice and i was saying the, i love the moody blues and they have so many great hits but even they don't have that one consummate album that continues to live on you know year after year after year like you do so right it's, it's a real testament and we're still the you. same people in the band well when we do odyssey and oracle we're, right. there's four of us still alive out of the five you know yeah how often do you perform odyssey and oracle shows well, we did two tours of America. Uh -huh. uh, we went to just recently went over to Amsterdam and Berlin, but we don't do it unless we can get hold of Darian Sahanaja, you know, mm. the keyboard player with Brian sure. Wilson, yeah. because we need to make the sound right. Got it. Certain songs we can't do with a, a, a small makeup, you know. Got it. So okay. uh, we might be doing more. We don't know. Okay. See what happens yeah. if we get into the rock and roll hall, you know. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that you guys are nice. just yeah, no kidding. It sounds like you guys are just sort of along for. I mean, this ride is taking you. You're not taking. You're not in charge of what's happening to you right now. You know what I mean? No. You're kind no. of along for the ride and see where it goes. It sounds like. Yes, definitely. That's and crazy. it's such a pleasure. It's such a yeah. pleasure, really. Well, good. Um, at our age, not to be swayed by fame. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> There you have it, Chris White. Hope you enjoyed that. Have you noticed lately we've had a lot of Chris's and a lot of Steve's on the show? In fact, there's another Chris and another Steve in the can coming out in the next few weeks. Interesting coincidence. Anyway, if you have yet to vote for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, fan voting ends tomorrow. If you're listening to this on post day, Friday, November 30th, the link to vote is in the description of this show on whatever device you're listening to it. If you're on your phone, you can just tap on the link we've put in there and you can vote your conscience. To me, I, I'm one of the people who believe that this is actually a really strong um, uh, group this year. You could make a very good case for almost every artist on there. So vote your conscience and think about the zombies while you're doing it. Hope you enjoyed this. Um, I'm not 100% sure where we're gonna go next week in terms of guests. Um, I've got a lot of time-sensitive ones in the can at the moment. I also have a bunch I've been sitting on for a while. I'm not sure where we're going to end up next week. But anyway, come back on Tuesday. Check us out. If you're new to the podcast, go into the archives. See what else we've got in here. I want to close it out with my favorite zombie song. This song is gorgeous. It's the first track off Odyssey and Oracle, Care of Cell 44. Read about what this song is about. Fascinating stuff. Nobody writes songs like this anymore. Anyway. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, Yan, for putting everything together. We'll talk to you guys later.